Today on The Queso, Gabriel Reyes Benavides, the author of a new book, Time Travelers, A Vampire Story, now available on Amazon. You can also find out more about Gabriel's work at ReyesEntertainment.com. Thanks for joining me today. This is Gabriel Reyes Benavides. He's the author of a new book called Time Travelers, A Vampire Story, recently published and out now available on Amazon. Welcome, Gabriel. Thank you so much for being with me. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I'm, I'm not thrilled. Yes, so you actually own a company called Reyes Entertainment. Tell us about your company. Um, Reyes Entertainment, I have, I'm actually a veteran. I launched this already two decades ago, uh, back when Latinos couldn't get arrested in Hollywood. And it seems that we still have a problem in Hollywood 20 years later. But the entire reason why I, I um, devoted my life to communication is to educate and to highlight the contributions of Latino Americans into American society. I think Latinos, as many other groups uh, of color in the United States, have, have been uh, sort of systematically erased um, from our history, uh, from the American history, from shared American history. And um, so uh, I think that has contributed to a negative outlook on the part of the American mainstream towards Latinos. I think they have a lot of mis misconceptions. The American mainstream media feeds it, but there's a lot of misconceptions about Hispanics and who we are. And, um, you know, uh, that's the reason why I started my company in order to be able to communicate into English language markets as well as Spanish language markets about our contributions and who we are and the fact that we've been in this country since the very beginning and we own it just as much as anyone else. Uh, when did you start Race Entertainment? I started Race Entertainment in 1997. And boy, it doesn't seem like a long time ago for those of us raised in the 80s, but <laughs> I it, guess uh, it is. But it is quite a, quite a while ago, you know, for a lot of people, and a lot of things have transpired since then. Yeah, it's about uh, 20, I, 22 I years ago. <laughs> that's correct. Yeah, yeah so, uh, you know, I continue. I continue adapting because, you know, that's really the best way for anyone to continue, not just with life, but also with um, our careers, is to continue to adapt to all the changes, you know, demographically, the changes technologically that, is ha that are happening. And right now, you know, more economically and socially and um, also health-wise. So, um, and so it's, it's important to stay ahead. What kind of artists do you represent or what kind of projects do you work on? Um, throughout my career, I pretty much um, have had a hand in a lot of different industries and a lot of different projects. But I really, you know, the base of my experience is entertainment and media. So I really started out um, and continued to service mainly um, clients in entertainment, like celebrities or TV projects or films and such. Uh, but I've also graduated more into lifestyle brands. I think there's a great connection between them. And so um, I also represent uh, brands and, um, you know, Fortune 500 companies. So right now in the time of COVID, how have you adjusted your business to continue to thrive? Well, I think uh, really for in terms of communications, uh, I think uh, I've sort of become a thought leader with uh, the companies that I work with in terms of helping them to navigate the communications, uh, the waters of communications right now, because it seems as though the public arena is really volatile. 
and um, any misstep can land you in hot water, uh, as we see so much happening in the cancel culture. Uh, and so, you know, one of the things, and you know, the main thing I become is, is I become a lead, a thought leader with a company in order to help them to na- navigate publicly their stance, um, you know, how, what their positions are in terms of social issues, as well as how can they help in terms of this uh, pandemic and what are the projects and the products that they have that might be able to help people in this time and what's a good way and sensitive way to sell products at this time so there's really a lot of different ways yeah so it sounds like you have a lot of passion for your work including how this book was created and we'll get to that in a minute but what kind of experience helps you to do that like tell me a little bit about your upbringing where are you from and how had that how has that changed or shaped the way you do work now i grew up in i was born in mexico and uh in the in the, uh, the northern part of mexico right across from texas um Actually, no. I was born um, further south, but uh, you know, I was my family brought me to, to northern Mexico when I was just a baby. So I, I grew up uh, right across the border. But my father was always working in the United States and came across every day. So he legalized all of us, you know, way back when I was like 11 years old, and he brought the family to Texas. So I grew up in South Texas. I went to uh, right around the McAllen area. What a small world. I grew up in Harlingen. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, look at that. So, yeah, yes. so we're, we're both Rio Grande Valley natives, exactly. I guess. Tejanos, and, yeah. um, exactly. So, but I left there as soon as I, I graduated uh, from high school. And I went to the University of Texas in Austin. And I graduated with a fine arts degree in theater directing mm-hmm. and dancing. So I had a minor in dance. To this day, I still do give myself a little ballet class yeah. uh, every few days and stuff. Um, and, and then I moved to New York to become an actor. And I was in New York. I lived in New York for 12 years uh, where I've acted in soap operas. I did commercials and, and off-Broadway off plays. And, um, I wanted to get into uh, communications because I really felt as though after really you know, auditioning and um, seeing how being Hispanic was really a hindrance if you were trying to work in mainstream entertainment hmm. at okay. that time, mm-hmm. um, because it was very difficult to be considered for roles that were not Hispanic. And most Hispanic roles at that time were, you know, the media roles and the, the minor roles, okay. as many times they are even today. So um, after I did a few of those and stuff, I realized that I, I wanted to get into communications to uh, I, like I said earlier, in order to educate the public and um, uh, so that Hispanics could be more visible in a more positive way in mainstream uh, entertainment and, and mainstream media. So I um, came to Los Angeles and I started working with Nelly Galan and um, uh, from Galan Entertainment, who's still my dear friend and client. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, one thing led to another. I uh, started doing very well with her. Many people started calling me and saying, who's doing her PR? And I said, well, I was do- I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went off and I started my own company with her blessing. She became my first client. And I never mm-hmm. stopped since. Well, you, you have such a rich background, and I almost wanted to stop you and say, wait, 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 I can't even catch up. You've done so much, and you, <laughs> but 
I mean, it, it's a shame we're just glossing over your experiences because I'm sure you have some really good anecdotes, especially you're living out in, in New York for a while and then when you first arrived in Los Angeles. Oh, I'm, yeah, I have stories. I have tons of stories. Well, if you can and think... I'm, I'm writing books, too, so it's, uh, at some point you're going <laughs> to read all about them. That's great. Now, if you can think of one thing on the top of your mind, something that made you say, oh, I just want to quit this, throw in the towel and go back to theater or, or go back into dance... Anything like that along the way that almost made you throw in the towel? Oh, tons of times. Oh, tons and tons of times. You know, especially the frustration of, uh, you know, trying, you know, being Latino and trying to sell um, the idea of Latino contributions into mainstream media and entertainment um, is uh, and was and continues to be a source of uh, frustration. Um, and I think that's probably one of the main ones so that I can, t- I can tell that. Uh, but I can tell you that has been a kind of a thorn in my side really for a while. How is, if at all, racist, racism a part of that? Uh, well, it's very ingrained, as we know and we see and we've all felt and lived it um, for a while. I mean, you know, I grew up in South Texas in the, in the early 70s and, you know, most of my teachers were white and their idea, you know, I'm not saying, you know, some of them were racist, outward racist, um, most of them were not, but the, the racism, it's not even, you don't even have to be a racist, uh, you know, it's just so ingrained that it's accepted, and so, um, you know, trying to overcome that, uh, it works at, you know, at, at all levels, and certainly in entertainment, because Hollywood is the purveyor of culture. And the way that Hollywood sells culture is the way that many people are um, are affected, and the way that many people are shaped by the messages of Hollywood around the world. And so, you know, taking um, a responsibility for those messages is, you know, something important that we should be doing. But you know, unfortunately, you know, it hasn't it hasn't been done. And so, those are the messages that shape popular culture and popular opinion. And sometimes those messages are not in our favor. So it's interesting, you grew up in an era in El Valle where Johnny Canales was on TV, but we were still encouraged to use English at all times at school, pretty much. Well, you know, we grew up in that, in that time, and, you know, God bless them, my parents themselves, you know, you'll have to learn to speak English because they, were, they wanted us to do well. And they knew that in order for us to do well in this country, we had to speak English and, and speak it well. So I'm glad about that. But I think the downside of that is that, you know, as a young age, when you're being told, don't speak Spanish, and we all have those stories of being wrapped in the knuckles if you spoke Spanish or what. My friend uh, Dan Guerrero says, you know, in his school, they had a sign about the doors that, that said, if it's not, if you can't say it in English, it's not worth saying. Oh. Um, you know, so, you know, those messages are very detrimental to a young mind. And a young mind will then start to internalize that, internalize that their language doesn't matter. And so and the, their culture is less than and looked down upon because, look, I can't even speak Spanish. Yeah, yeah. So that's how internalized racism works, and that's how you get, you know, people in our culture who are enamored of, you know, uh, the, the oppressor, so to speak, and to defend, um, you know, oppression, because you, you internalize it, and you start, you know, and you, you hear a lot of people talking about, like, you know, por qué la gente, por qué, you know, like, um, mejorar la raza, Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you hear a lot of Latinos talk about yeah. um, that way about ourselves, and that's internalized racism. 
Yeah, you know, when you, you were saying about that sign that your friend read, it, it, it hit me right here in the heart. It's like really, oh, I'm like, you know, because I think now we're living in a time where, uh, especially if we're so far away from our roots, we really want to embrace them even more, even tighter, and identify more. Yes, because we start to see more of their value. Yeah. And so much of the time, we were taught in the, you know, and I, I'm telling you, I think, I'm sure things have changed. We're in 2020, but maybe things haven't changed. And I'm talking about being a young person in South Texas in early 1970s. It was very difficult at that time to feel any pride in yourself and to feel any pride in your culture because almost everywhere you looked, almost everywhere you turned, it was being looked down upon. Yeah, you know, it's funny because we all have different uh, different memory of it. I know I've gotten into some discussions on Facebook with my ex-classmates from elementary school, and they don't seem to have the same experience as I did, but maybe they just didn't pay attention the same way. Well, that's, that's also part of it. And, yeah. and many times, and we're all, as humans, we're really good at telling ourselves a story we want to hear. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we don't. I don't want to tell myself that I, you know that I was uh, uh, what do you call it mistreated or that I was discriminated against or that I was somehow abused or in a way. I don't want to tell myself that story. Nobody right, does. Right. But in a way, you know, you can't move forward if you don't t- if you don't acknowledge what happened and try to heal that and move forward so that you can recognize and do something better as opposed to just try not to deal with it and continue to have that show up in a different way and you know when you accept i'm sorry when when you accept it as a child you're going to continue to accept it as a grown-up yes right it just becomes part of your history whether it it happened or not you remember it that way so it becomes part of it so you know speaking of stories back in the 70s were you already reading Anne rice Oh, no, I discovered Anne Rice later, I think when I was in college or a little later, maybe uh, when I was um, in New York. But as soon as I started reading her, I felt such a an identification mm-hmm. with her and the way that she wrote and the way that she put her stories were, were so rich and so full of passion, her characters were just so committed to, you know, to themselves and who they are. I just was, you know, mesmerized reading her stories. I devoured, you know, her books. So, so. The, the vampire in her story and the vampires in your story, who, who are they to you personally? They, I think I feel like a lot, of the, a lot of the reason why I identified so heavily and I felt such a release reading it is because in a way vampires are like gay people uh-huh. um and you know b- me being gay and you know as a gay male and growing up in the time that i grew up when it wasn't as um, celebratory to be gay and to come out being gay you know I, I grew up and my formative years were when it was full of shame and violence and you know pe- uh, you know people didn't want to see you and you were lucky if you know if, if they didn't want to see you. But most of the time, it was you know degradation. Um, and so um, it painted uh, it painted by my view of it. And so when I when I read the vampires, I sort of identified with them because they're outsiders, outsiders, and you know much of our experience you know as gay men, especially back in the seventies, our lives were nocturnal. Yes. You know? That's that's true, and the vampire allows you that cloak. 
Right, exactly. Well, yes, exactly. Our lives were nocturnal. We, we thrived uh, nightlife. We, our culture was underground. By and large, it never was the way it is now. And, you know, thank you, Will and Grace and, you know, others. <laughs> but um, it was back in the 70s, it was very secretive and it was kind of a secretive society, very much what you consider, you know, a vampire, you know, would be. So that's where all that identification came from. And then I just, the rest of it, well, I just kind of, you know, let my imagination go. Yes. And, you know, I'm glad to see you were married. It was a couple of years ago. I think it was. I think it's been a couple of years that I saw that you were married. Um, oh, yeah. Yes. I married my longtime husband. You know, we're married 41 years. Wow. Actually. You know, we met in, when we were in college, mm-hmm. and um, we've been together ever since. Oh, well, we've broken up a couple of times, <laughs> but we've gotten back together. But, you know, we've got together in Austin when we were still going to college and when we were still going to university. So, when we went to New York, even though we went there separately, we were still together, and we lived together there, and we moved to LA together, and we're still together. So I'm um, sure. So I'm sure that he is uh, privy to the makings of time travelers. Oh yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, and you know my husband is a very accomplished artist himself. So he, he gave me, because I have no training, my, my art is very imperfect, I recognize that, but I think it has a certain charm, um, and, um, and so he gave me some pointers, and I, I learned a lot, you know, actually going back and revisiting, because most of these images uh, started out as pen and ink, okay. um, just, just black and white pen and ink, so then I, I you know, sort of, you know, went back over them and with color and repainted them and then I kind of digitized a little bit to do more work on them. And so I, there was a learning process uh, in terms of updating, you know, just technique, art techniques and stuff. But it's very gratifying. I love it. So your, um, book, star- your book started with the drawings, correct? Yes, it did. It started with the drawings. So I had created this little vampire um, story, this little short little tale back years ago. Maybe like you know, in the early 90s, I, I sort of, you know, made these little drawings in pen and ink, and they were very crude, and I kind of created a, 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 a bare bone or skeleton of these vampire stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think very much, Bruce, I'm sure that they were, and, and I know they were, um, uh, they were inspired by Anne Rice, so I'm sure it was very soon after I started reading all those books that I was inspired. Yes, yes, definitely yes. with the ballet and, uh, you know, just the society, sure. the society, you know, life that they lead. It's uh, it's very much inspired by her. I love the Klimt opening. Oh my gosh, she's one of my favorite artists. Oh yes, isn't he? Oh, I mean, he's <laughs> one of my favorites too. I would say he's probably my favorite. So, so for those of you who are going to buy this book after you listen to this great interview, Chapter 7 talks about the Klimt opening, and you have some reproductions of his paintings. One of my favorite, The Kiss, of course, is in yes. there. And it's just that's what caught my eye when I saw you showing your book on social media. I said, oh, what? What is this? <laughs> it just looks so cool. I love him. And as a matter of fact, I have in my office two uh, uh, prints of two of his ladies uh, on some frames that I bought. Mm-hmm. But 
like in 1981 in the, in the Bowery in New York in these mm. old frames I bought and I had and I still carry those prints with me everywhere I go I love him he's one of my favorite artists and now your your drawings are um, kind of mirror like throughout you make like a mirror effect was it was that on purpose or was that part of the design process that I created those are like photo um, what do you call it uh, uh, effects so okay. I created that with a photo effect uh, to sort of a fill the page because okay. some of these are horizontal images and they don't fill the page so I had to come up with a convention to fill the page um, and so I, I, um, I adopted the mirror convention to sort of make the image go all the way down as opposed to just stay on the top of the page. Yes. Now, for those of us that are at home and, you know, are inspired by your work and think, well, I have some drawings, I have some poetry, some stories, what would be the first step to self-publish a book like this? Well, um, you would have to compile them. Um, so I went, I went through all of it because I have tons and tons of pen and ink drawings. So I have to figure out how can I put these together into a, a, a comprehensive book. Because the other book, um, I have a second book actually, it was the first one that I published. Um, it's also on Amazon called Grace, Glamour and Grit. And this is all women um, because I also draw a lot of a lot of women. And so that came out of that, of, of me going through all of my drawings and then figure out how can I compile these into one cohesive um, uh, into one cohesive book, and which are, which one of these are good uh, are good candidates? So originally, I was going to do one book that was going to contain both of these, but they were so disparate, you know, mm. so different that I thought, you know, they really need to be two different books. So, you know, I went through all my drawings, and I I, I realized that I did I had a lot of portraits of women. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a whim, an homage to powerful women and, you know, do that. And it's only women. And the way I'm going to present it is that each one of them is going to tell us about herself. Oh. So um, one of my favorites, I love uh, the, the Spoon River Anthology by Edgar Lee Masters. I think it's Edgar Lee Masters is the author. It's an older book and it's a wonderful, beautiful book. Um, and what it is is... Um, all of these people in this town that are dead, and and every pay, uh, each you know each one of them is talking to you in, in first person and telling you who they were in life, and what happened to them, etc., etc. And I loved it, and so I kind of took a page from that, and I thought, okay, I'm going to have each one of the women talk in first in first person and tell the reader who they are, who they were, what they were, what they fought for in life, what they represent. So that's how I came up with Grace Glamour and Grit, an illustrated anthology of powerful women. Did you not give that one a lot of promotion, or how was how did you launch that? I, I haven't. I actually haven't given either one of them a lot of promotion, you know, because, and I am a publicist, <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's always our, our you know, bane, the bane of our existence that we publicize other people a lot more than we do ourselves. Right. Um, and so part of what I'm working on now is, is, is pulling out, like, like I did the clip one, is pulling out individual images with their corresponding text and doing some promotion around it. But um, but yeah, that's that's the process. Is that the process is compiling your you know what the product that you have, compiling it in something co cohesive, and then 
I try to make the best presentation possible. So when I compiled my pen and ink drawings, you know, it wasn't enough for me. I, I had to colorize them. I had to make them look sophisticated, make them look eye-catching. Yes. So I spent the time doing that. I spent the time going through my text and refining the text and, you know, taking it through, you know, grammar and stuff. Um, and then I went to, you know, I talked to a couple of people who had done books before. And then mm-hmm. I went to Amazon to their self-help publishing. Okay. And, you know, just did it myself. That is so great. I'm so glad there are those resources that yes. make this a lot easier. And, you know, it, what a satisfying feeling it must be for you to see it in print. Absolutely. And <laughs> it's a new world. You know, that's how we... Uh, you know, talking about adapting to our technology, you know, our technology and the new world in terms of just a lot of different ways into which technology allows us to be self, um, you know, uh, uh, self creators, to be content creators. Uh, and so, you know, something like this, for example, such an easy way to be able to compile it, put it together, publish it, and, you know, Really, it's a labor of love more than anything. I'm not expecting that to make any kind of money with it, uh, you know, meaningful money with it. Maybe a few dollars, that's fine. But it's really more a way to sort of put your artistic endeavors in a concise manner, present them out to the world, and mm-hmm. let, them, let them exist that way, let them be who they are, and then see what else you got inside. Um, yeah. You know, I was able to get two, and if I go back and look at all my other drawings, I could probably, you know, do a couple more. I'm a firm believer that our work is our legacy, so what we leave behind and what people find in the archives that we created is what they'll remember about us. Yeah, and, you absolutely. Know, and I think it needs to be done more. I think, we, I think sometimes time gets away from us and we don't get to it, but oh, it's gnawing at us, isn't it? <laughs> Well, I, and it should because, and I think when something gnaws at you, uh, you should definitely pay attention mm-hmm. because it's your higher self probably nudging you to do something that you should. Um, and I remember, you know, I, I've heard this before, several people saying that if you can, you should. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, we all of us, if we can't, if we could, we if we can, we should. And I think what happens is that we at least a lot of times what happens with me is that I'm my own worst critic mm-hmm. and a lot of the times I may not consider the things that I write or the things that I draw to be good enough um, and so I may say well you know I'm not going to send this out because it's not good enough but I think there is um, a place you can get to a place where you feel like I really like this I really like what I've yeah. done is it perfect? No it's not I don't have that kind of training or I'm not that perfect artist. Um, but I have something to say and I feel like the my energy is being imbued into this work and I feel that people that get it and see it and read it will feel that energy. And I think we, you know, it's important to be surrounded by those people that will um, honestly critique our work in a loving way and encourage us to keep going. Because, you know, being that we live on, on in a social media world, there's going to be, you know, the negative, the, there's going to be, there's going to be people that are not going to like it, which is fine, but we can't listen to those voices. They don't know us. You know what I'm saying? Like we have people around us who know our passions. And like you said, it's not about making a million bucks. It's about getting your passion done and that's right. Yeah. And I think what you're what you're talking about is something that we um, we all of us think about because in our conditioning in our society, um, you know, we are always looking for that approval from outside. 
Uh, and you know, part of uh, part of creating a great life for yourself is loving yourself enough to be able to just know that you can judge your work up to a up to a point where you feel like it's great and you love it, and you're going to be okay sending it out. And you're going to try to attract as much love as you can for your project. But if not, but if there's some people who are not in love with it, then you're going to give yourself the permission to not be affected by it. And I'm not even talking about having a thick skin because some people mm-hmm. would say, oh, well, you just have to have a thick skin. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one way to look at, look at it. But I think another way is... Uh, roll it off to your back. You know, people say to roll it off your back. I think that's a good thing to practice because you are never going to um, please everybody all the time. True, true. And so there's going to be that uh, criticism, which is constructive and loving, like you're saying, and I welcome it. And then there's going to be that other type of criticism that is destructive. And that's where you just need to really be able to gird yourself to not it, not. Um, let it affect you. I'm not even talking about accepting it or not accepting it. Is to not let it e- even enter into your consciousness. I remember Jennifer Lopez said one time, a long time ago, it was an interview that she was giving, and they asked her about you know her detractors, and she said, "I don't have time to think about that." Right. And right. Now you worked with her on several times. I did. I've worked with her several times. Yeah. Um, I was good. even in um, uh, the movie Border Town. I did all the unit publicity and I did all the public. I did all the um, the premiere and the release publicity for it. And I also even played a role in the movie. Uh, I had a small role oh, in it. Nice. Um, so I, yeah, I worked with her ever since she she got her star. I gave her her first magazine cover on Latina magazine. That's great. When she had, like, you know, the, the movie like uh, Selena, which was a big break. Which I, you know, I can tell we have a lot more books coming from you that have to do not just with the vampires, but with what you've, you've lived through and the people you've met along the way. It's interesting because you, you work with artists and a lot of times when I've interviewed artists, some of the biggest artists are the most down to earth and have the best advice, which is exactly like Jennifer Lopez told you that time. I eat, drink, sleep, and just work towards my goal all the time. And that's what always separated to me the biggest successes in in the industry is I I knew I have time to party later, but when I was young, if I had a part-time job, it was to buy the dress, to wear to the audition. I mean, everything was pointing that way. Right. And I just just love that mentality. It's it's having focus, 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 focus. Right. And then let, you know, the end. Be um, affected. That's the best way to say it. Don't be affected by um, by the negative feedback because it's always going to be that. And some some of it, you know, might be some people who mean well, but you know, some of it might be people who don't. Yeah. So what what is next for you here with with your writing, with your drawings, and um, with work? I I continue with my um, with my business, of course, servicing my clients and. Um, seeing and being creative and finding new ways for them to be able to move ahead and even sell more products um, and you know my entertainment clients to get work because it's really bad in mm. the entertainment industry right now with everything shut down right. and people are suffering um, you know, CAA just laid off to 400 people that's you know, the largest uh, the largest uh, talent agency looks like the only thing being filmed nowadays are commercials right Right, 
so um, you know just being able to navigate that but the other thing that I'm doing that I'm hoping to accomplish is like you say go back to um, you know short stories and I've kind of run this blog for a while but I put some stories up on it um, you know but I really am I'm, I'm going back and looking at um, short stories and essays that I've written before and certainly memories memoirs of my time in New York as well as my time here in Los Angeles working in entertainment so those are the kinds of things that I'm looking at uh, possibly you know doing in this course of this year and Let, the next year let's see if you write anything about El Valle and if our stories intersect in any way that'd be really interesting <laughs> I'm sure that I'm sure that they do because you know it's a it's a shared experience and I'm looking at the you know the way that they're being affected by COVID and it's, mm -hmm. it's a shame it's, yes. it's tragic it is really tragic it is and uh, just you know the state is so big it's it's a big state the, depending where you live in the state it's a different culture it's a different type of community and support and definitely yeah. the valley was one of the poorest areas in south you know in texas and i think it continues to be and it's also i think the reason why it's hitting it so hard because that is a place where people um people are just generally in ill health yes Yes, that's and, true. And, and I think that's why so many people are succumbing because that's like a place where a lot, there's a lot of people who are chronically ill. Yeah, you know, growing up there, all I knew is that I played outside barefoot and I couldn't wait for it to rain so I can splash in those puddles. I mean, life has really, <laughs> has life has changed quite a bit now. But. Well, you know, I grew up and I used to work in the fields. Yeah, so did my in parents. Yeah. You know, so you know, it was that kind of, it was that kind of existence. And back in those days, you, I kind of look at it with, a little bit with nostalgia, mm -hmm. because you know, I was just a young kid, you know, running around barefoot, and, you know, down in far Texas, and it was very small. It wasn't like it is now. Right. It was very small. There was orange orchards and and onion fields and lettuce fields, and that was all there was all around. Mm -hmm. And now it's. It's all just grown over and become suburbia, and it's a different, it's a different thing. Yeah, it's sad. Yeah, it's sad. I mean, but I guess you know it's progress. You know, progress. We're moving on, and I, I just hope that you know we can maintain those memories. Time gets away from us, and one of the one of the reasons that I like to do what I do, and especially in Spanglish, Spanglish or. Tex-Mex, however you want to call it, is because we are losing a lot of those traditions and customs. And oh, big time. One big of, time. One of my favorite little quotes, and it's my own quote, it's like a little poem. It says, um, Nuestra lengua es una moneda perdida en la arena. Y un día llegaron las olas del prejuicio y se llevaron la moneda. Quedamos mudos. Wow. Those olas no eran de la isla del padre, but you know what I mean. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, they but, were, you know, that's, but that's some heavy duty. Yeah, and so, you know, I, I, that, I wrote that years ago, and, and it stuck with me, and I said, I'm like, how do I preserve this? And one of the ways is with, um, just with language and recognizing, you know, my language and my accent, don't want to lose that, I, you know. Yeah, um, no, absolutely. And being the, being a steward of your your culture, um, and and to present it in a new way. One of the people that I was working with last year is Davina Ferreira, who is a publisher of Alegria magazine, mm -hmm. and 
she just um you might want to look her up on instagram she just um this past december she launched alegria publishing like a self-publishing uh platform for okay. latinas okay. for women and she just she has like a latinx poetry project nice yeah that's... she just uh, she's publishing you know latina uh, poets yeah you should, should look her up i will definitely do that and you know i, I want to encourage other young voices to come out or even older voices to come out you know i i, I think it, they're so important to preserve those stories and as many times as we've heard the same stories we want to hear them we want to preserve them which is absolutely why i'm glad everybody's got one everyone has one and you have more than one gabriel so <laughs> I do. I have several. I realize now talking to you, my life has taken a lot of different twists and turns, but That's it's beautiful. It's beautiful, yeah. And I'm glad you're preserving it here with the Time Travelers. Please look him up, look up his thank book, you. order a copy, and thank you for being with me. Kudos to oh, you. Thank you, Amelia. Congratulations again. I uh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, and good luck to you. I hope that we'll be able to travel soon be able to see each other yes and get back to working get back to you know you Absolutely. Se- sending me some of your clients and, <laughs> and us getting back in that in that circuit of interviews but thank you so much gabriel talk to you soon you're, okay you're very welcome have a great evening you too bye-bye take care bye-bye